This is an ohs.com.au production. Welcome to episode 29 of the Australian Health and Safety Business Podcast. I'm Brendan Tarazzi, the host of the show, and today I'm with Kate Smolenska from Bulletproof Performance. Good afternoon, Kate. Good afternoon, Brendan. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for coming on today. So tell me about you and and what Bulletproof Performance does. So my background is in engineering and that journey, which it, it has been and it continues to be, has taken me now to, instead of engineering water-sensitive urban design, I now engineer behaviours with bulletproof performance. Okay. That's uh, that's pretty cool. So what, what made you um, transition from an engineer to a human engineer, so to speak? I think part of, uh, part of that reason is I've always been a very human or humanistic engineer. Okay. And I've had the opportunity to work with an incredible amount of teams uh, in different locations. And I've seen teams that work extremely well and I've always been very, very interested in that. Uh, and for the last, goodness, 15 years having worked in environment, health and safety, Realising that quite often it's not the rule book that is the difference between achieving safe outcomes. It's quite often the way the rule book is written, the way that it's read, the way that it's reinforced. So the journey's taken me to Bulletproof Performance uh, via a, a huge opportunity. One of my teams, or a number of my teams, were actually part of our Bulletproof Performance programs. And I was hearing uh, as part of those programs, the difference that it was making to people. Um, a resilience program that my business partner, Rhett Morris, had run was really resonating with people and it was creating change and it was creating a change in mindset. So we expanded those programs um, within the company that I was working and I liked it so much. I joined the <laughs> You company. bought the company <laughs> or bought into the company. That's right. It, that's essentially the story. Uh, when you see that you can make a difference in the yeah. safety space to that extent by giving people information and then being able to relate that to, you know, the standard dry uh, swim or JSA and make a difference. Yeah. Absolutely, I was going to be in on that opportunity. Yeah. And so what was the business that you were involved with? So I was working in a construction business. Oh, okay. Uh, tier one. Contractor, yep. Um, you know, huge, uh, hugely successful with actually a very good uh, safety methodology and record. Well, that was because they were using bulletproof, <laughs> possibly. <laughs> and look, uh, part of what we do also addresses psychological safety. So our programs focus on people under pressure. Yeah, and I think this is where the key difference is. Which is which is just about everyone these days, isn't it? I mean, I, I mean that's sort of our culture now that we 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 put ourselves under pressure. You're right. Uh, whether we do, or whether it's the ex- expectations that are put on us or that we put on ourselves, yes, people do experience pressure, um, and I, I think you're right. Differently to what used to happen. It's just that we haven't adjusted and we haven't allowed ourselves to understand what happens. And, and we see, I guess, if, you, if you're just looking at safety and the pressure resulting from very long hours and very little sleep, you can statistically see the differences that you get yeah. in that space. 
but you're right, it's, uh, it's definitely a new world and there's a number of people that are struggling to adjust to that pressure, let alone cope or thrive in it. Our intent is to get people thriving under pressure, to be able to... Yeah, high performance, and but feeling good about it at the same time. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, I think that initial intrinsic perception these days of anything that's stress-related or pressure-related is negative. Yeah. That's the case at all. Yeah. And so were you, you uh, from memory, before we spoke, you said you were out of Melbourne, were you, or you in Geelong, or have, have I got I, that right, or...? No, I'm based in Melbourne or okay. at an airport near you. Okay. I uh, spend a lot of time with clients in Sydney and Brisbane also. Okay, so it's a national a national program that you run? Yes, it is. Yep. How about international? Is there, has there been any appetite? It is. It'll be all over, uh, all over Australia. And, in fact, earlier this year we spent some time across in Malaysia working oh, right. for a client. Okay, and so... Yeah. Walk us through what you'll typically do. Uh, is it is it construction industry, or is it does it go across various different industries? What would the, be the what would be is, a client experience like? They ring up and say, "Hey, we're trying to prevent. Um, we've got a good safety record, but our people aren't running along with it, and we need help." Sure. So our our scope in terms of clients is. If you have people within your teams, yep. we will yep. work with your teams yep. uh, because yep. everyone is subject to this. A lot of our projects are with large construction organisations but also in the banking industry, uh, childcare sector. Uh, I do work specifically with cadets and graduates across a number of uh, different sectors. Uh, large infrastructure projects tend to uh, certainly like our programs and respond really well to our programs. So a, a typical client experience is you would ring up and we would undertake a discovery session. Our programs are very tailored to the needs of our clients and, and the needs whilst you know under a broad umbrella of performance under pressure or resilience or a safety program, uh, they they are very specific and we're in tune to client specific needs via that discovery uh, program, which is asking the right questions. Yeah. Mentally, to get the right answers, you need to ask the right questions. So we start off with a discovery session to identify what the pressure points are, what the opportunities for improvement are, find out more about the safety record, have a look at um, any available statistics, uh, find out what questions are being asked currently when it comes to safety incidents. You know, quite often people are very quick to look at the form and say, right, root cause, what is it? Who can I blame? Whereas it's not that simple. There yeah. are a few grey areas. So following a discovery session, we're able to tailor a program uh, and in some cases where we've worked with shift workers who, as you know, uh, uh, very much in a high-risk group when it comes to fatigue-related incidents, uh, we would run a program focusing on energy and how they can manage their short and long-term energy levels. So a energy program would cover fuel, hydration, stress management, and, of course, sleep. Yeah. Uh, right now in Australia, I think it's a very topical issue, that issue of sleep. We're finding that... The statistics that were reported in the, what's it called, Bedtime Reading, uh, a very apt title for a parliamentary inquiry report. 
bedtime reading stated that 40% of Australians are getting inadequate sleep. When, as part of our programs, when we run a diagnostic survey with teams, we're finding that that's spot on, mm-hmm. whether it be in construction, whether it be in public service. It's about 40% of people who are currently not getting adequate sleep. So how, so, do, how do they define that? Is it Would that be less than, I don't know, six hours or seven hours? So the guidelines are seven to nine or seven to eight, depending yep. on which guidelines you read. Yep. But um, the, the costs associated with inadequate sleep to business, let alone the actual risks when it comes to safety, are huge. That particular parliamentary inquiry uh, provided some frightening statistics where uh, there's a 50% increased risk of occupational injury or absenteeism or safety violations, and that can be attributable directly to fatigue in employees with a sleep disorder. Um, the, the figures that they're putting around this is that if you take into account health and wellbeing costs, um, as well as the cost to the economy, it ends up being over $65 billion annually. Wow. And, and just in Australia. Yep. And one of the most frightening statistics is that inadequate sleep uh, over the 16-17 financial year, they estimated it contributed to over 3,000 deaths in Australia alone. Oh, wow. It, it is a, a huge issue. And one of the things that we find, you know, when you're working six to six, six days on, and then you are asked to switch shifts and then asked to switch shifts, the, the implications when it comes to safety are not only for you and the team when you're at work, they're when you're driving home, when you're driving to work the next shift. Yeah, of course. So the, the energy program really focuses not just on the person as an employee, but the person as a 24-hour life cycle human being and trying to make people aware of and therefore manage the risks associated with some of the things that can directly impact their energy and fatigue levels. So, so do you have so, any views on what's, as far as rosters go, is it better to have a, a set, like say you were working night shifts, are you better to always be working night shifts or a swing, sh- you, I think what you were, uh, they call it a swing shift, don't they, whether you're working for a week and then days and then you flip to nights? So my opinion is based on the large amount of people that I've worked with that are shift workers and always asking them a question in terms of what happens to their levels of alertness, having a look at statistics around incidents, and ultimately it comes down to this. Once you're used to it, day three, you're okay. It's the first three days of the change, and it doesn't matter whether the change is from day to night or night to day. People seem to settle into the routine by day three. Mm-hmm. But it's the swapping and changing. So those people who are needed sometimes during day shift and a week later are back on nights and a week later are back on day, they're the ones that really put themselves in the extremely high-risk category simply because they know how their mind and body functions. Everything from their short-term memory recall to their hand-eye coordination gets impacted and they feel it. Yeah. Not to mention the statistics around micro-sleeps. Yeah. That, that, that's another thing that whilst it may happen outside of work, it's going to impact you and I as we're driving along next to somebody who's just come off a 12-hour shift yep. who's quite able to drive their vehicle the way that they normally would. So h- how do you get staff on board? I mean, sometimes some of these programs come from upper management and 
you know, they see a problem and then they roll it out. How do you actually get the, the troops on the ground to actually sit up and take notice and like, because you've had, you've got this program that's been able to get cut through. How do you, I'm just wondering how you get them on board. Cause that's no, that's not always an easy feat because changing habits is, is pretty hard or it can be. We find that, especially for shift workers and construction workers, short, sharp, 45-minute sessions once a month over a six-month period are very effective. Yeah. The reason for that is we can provide information, allow people the time to explore that, have a go, but then come back and put an element of accountability around trying something different. And what I find is the team's uh, there's an element of peer pressure as well as challenge. They challenge each other to try new things. Uh, that level of engagement comes from the material that we present. You know, my job is to to be engaging and to, to find the people's trigger points and to identify what is going to make them take action. That's the thing that motivates me is being able to give somebody information, but for them not only to engage with it in the moment, but to take long-term action so yeah. that long-term impact results. Look, I've had um, I've had great stories of people who, as a result of the uh, fatigue and energy management program, end up quitting smoking because oh, cool. they you know they've realised that as we're talking about their health, that is their key trigger and it's also a key stressor and it doesn't help them under pressure. Um, I've had a number of people who have given up. The um, energy drinks, I, and I use inverted commas yeah. when I say those words, because they now understand what happens and they've been able to to regulate their energy levels rather than spike them and yeah. then see them trough. And it's it's that information and that exploration. You, know, you come back the next month and you start talking about a different element of sleep or yeah. a different element of what proper hydration is. And, and by hydration, I mean water and electrolytes not just let's fill up on whatever sugary drink you're into at the moment. Years ago I did some um, training for a a mining company around fatigue management and um, I found it was like like two weeks of sessions with shift workers and I found that people were always so, when you talk about sleep, they get quite animated and passionate about it, particularly shift workers. Yes. so yeah, it's a, it's a, I guess it's a, something that is, you know, unique to, well, not all humans experience and need it. So it's something that's a shared uh, thing we all need. We have a bit of a laugh about it too, you know, depending on the audience. I'm certainly discussing the, the hormonal impacts of sleep and what happens to our bodies um, from that rebalancing perspective as we sleep. That um, that quite often creates some um, side anecdotes, which I won't repeat. But look, you have to have fun with the material. But that's how you engage people. And you're right. Sleep is something that everybody has an opinion on and everybody has an experience of. It's a, it's a great leveler. Um, I think the days of heroics of, you know, I function on two hours sleep and I wear it as a badge of honour. Yep. I, I think that's where we are at the moment. People really do realise the risks associated with inadequate sleep. And so they're willing to listen. They're interested in finding out how to better manage that. Are you seeing much, um, as I said, it's been quite a while since I've sort of been on the forefront of fatigue management, but 
how's like meditation in the workplace coming along? Has that because mental health is such a big uh, topic now, and so I'm just wondering whether that's progressed now in workplaces and whether people are more open to that now. It's audience based. Yep. Look, uh, certainly there are some groups of people where we discuss ways to retain calm and control and clarity where the idea of meditation or mindfulness is seen as something of benefit and value and people have an intrinsic understanding of that. Some audiences, as soon as you say meditation, mindfulness will say, buzzword, not doing that, and cross yeah. the arms and get their hard hat back on their heads and out yeah. the yeah. So... There, there are you know, certain groups of people that do see the benefits of it. Uh, personally, part of the part of my experience is one-on-one coaching with people, and I know on that level when people are willing to be very transparent and honest that it's a practice which people find extremely difficult. But the ones that do get traction get incredible results from mm. a performance under pressure perspective. Yeah. You know? Being able to be mindful, to be conscious of what's happening, to then be able to use meditation as a way of retaining control and calm. Yeah. goes straight to their personal legacy, straight to their professional legacy. And uh, they're probably the best advocates for yep. it. Yeah. But that's, I'm sure, as you know, will tell you that it is, um, it's like yoga. You don't do yoga, you practice yoga. The same as meditation. You yep. don't do meditation, you Engage in the practice of meditation. Well, I mean, the work workplace is just changing all the time. I guess it's um, you know, we it seems like we're much more open to speak about these kind of topics than maybe we were twenty years ago. And I agree. Yeah. There's also uh, an element of skepticism too. I think some of the well-being programs have swung the pendulum a little bit too far to say, "Well, here we go. Here's some self-care that you can undertake." And so everything will be okay in the workplace. Get back to work now, yes? <laughs> and, you know, pe- people are saying that that's fantastic. We appreciate the, the level of care and, and the wellness program is fantastic. But on the other side of that, there's the, the balance isn't quite right. You're asking us to undertake a workload which is beyond our capability or perhaps exceeds our capacity. Uh, and believe it or not, the meditation class that's right at lunchtime isn't going to help. Yeah. So there's some scepticism that also grows out of organisations that use wellness programs to mask the fact that perhaps their resourcing isn't where it should, where it should be. Yeah. And then so what other types of work would you do with organisations? It sounds like fatigue and energy is a big part of it. It, it certainly is and it has real impacts on safety. Uh, performance under pressure is a program that we run which has has elements of energy management in it. But getting people to have a look at what happens to them as individuals under pressure, it's surprising to know that when you ask someone the question of how does your brain respond to stress, some people look at you and think, oh, I've never really thought about that. I don't know. How should it? Uh, So (laughs) it's it's a really good question and it gets people thinking, well, well yeah, I don't know. And if you've never thought about it, then you should consider how you perform under pressure and what that means. You know, what is your situational awareness like? And how do you then reset priorities, which is something that's expected of all of us in the workplace, 
when you don't know what your immediate response is? Is it to to be oppositional to any form of change? Uh, do you have a physiological reaction? You know, what is what are the thoughts that drive the feelings that drive your actions when you're under pressure? And how many times have you been in a position where perhaps you've come to regret some actions later on, which would have never occurred had the pressure not been there? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sure it sounds like there's never a uh, a dull moment with with the work that you're doing. Get to no, work with lots of different people and make a you know actually make a difference in their personal lives and their business lives. Particularly yes, if you can get the stuff outside of work humming along, then I guess that just makes work easier in some ways. It does. Identifying people's pressure points and then getting them to take action about those pressure points is is fundamental to people retaining a level of resilience and then being able to build on that resilience to people being able to perform under pressure. And, of course, communication is such a big part of that. One of the questions that we ask of individuals and teams is, how do you know when the team is under pressure? And apart from, you know, the general feeling that people describe, they'll tell you about how communication changes. In many cases, leaders are not aware of the, the small changes in their communication style, especially when they're under pressure, and the impact that that translates to, to yeah. the rest of the team. So it is, it is interesting. I love getting emails um, from people to say, look, these are the small but sustainable changes that I've implemented mm-hmm. and I you know, I will rate myself higher now on the resilience scale. I will perform better under pressure. Uh, people that put in the deliberate practice get real results. And Brendan, you're absolutely right. It's it's beyond the eight till six working day, definitely. Mm. Cool. Well, I've got just some short questions to wrap up now, Kate. Sure. How many hours sleep do you get each night? Ah, I get between seven and eight hours sleep each night. Okay, excellent. And then um, what do you do to keep healthy and fit? I never sit still. If you ask anyone that knows me, my my energy levels seem to rejuvenate the more energy uh, I use. So I'm a big fan of tennis. Yep. I would like to say I play well. Um, I have a pretty mean cross-court forehand and an unpredictable (laughs) backhand lookout. Yeah. Uh, I have two young daughters that keep me extremely active. So we're out on the bikes, um, scooters. You will find me hanging upside down on the monkey bars because I can. Yep. Uh, yes, and basketball is uh, a recent interest so or a renewed interest. So a whole lot of uh, physical activity, but not only that, I, I do practice what I preach. Yep. I spend time focusing on retaining my calm and control and clarity through mindfulness exercises. Oh, good on you. Um, do you have any personal goals that you're looking to achieve in the next 12 months? Oh, yes. But they are personal. Okay. No, that's all right. I'll move on to the next question. Um, what, um, if you could be remembered for one thing as part of your career, what would you, what would you like to be remembered for? So what's, gave, what's your legacy? Yeah. Kate gave me information which triggered a positive change which allowed me to become a better version of myself, which allowed me to be safer at work, which allowed me 
to do the things that I used to think were, were difficult and scary and now I feel like I am resilient and I can do that and that pressure no longer stops me and I feel three inches taller. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, and then just finally, if people want to reach out to you at Bulletproof Performance, what's your website? It is bulletproofperformance.com.au and they can reach me by email at kate at bulletproofperformance.com.au. That's absolutely fantastic. Thanks for coming on, Kate. It's a pleasure. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you.